I'm so glad you joined us today. We are in week two of our new teaching series called Running with the Giants. Uh, I hope you're enjoying that kind of, we call it that bumper video to the sermon where uh, you're seeing the different scenes of the different heroes of the faith as you're going through the Old Testament uh, for the most part. And uh, as the weeks go on, you can just try and picture who is what and what's going on and Dig into your Bible. If you're not sure, ask some questions. It's just another good way to pick up some things. Our theme verse for this series is found in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. It's one of my favorite verses. Let's go right to it. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders us and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. So, the, the scripture here has kind of given us this illustration of a, a large crowd, a large group of people that have come before us and who love God with all their heart and their soul and their mind, and they gave their life for God. And, and in chapter 11 it, it, of, that, of Hebrews, it, it tells us about many of these people, uh, lists in some cases how they live their lives and in some cases how their death came to be and and they're bringing us the bible is bringing us this example to give us uh, encouragement that we could look to their lives and that it would sort of inspire us to persevere and to keep going in our faith now there's a man named john maxwell he's an author a speaker he wrote a book called running with the giants and this series is kind of based on that topic and we even glean into the book to pull out some stuff and he had this idea when he wrote the book that he said, imagine if you're on, you're in a stadium, you're on the field, you're looking out into the crowd, and, and in the seats are all these heroes of the faith surrounding you. And, you know, you hear them, and, and, and imagine if one of them could come down and kind of come alongside of you, and that they would speak into your life, you know? That is your gaze, because the Bible's calling us to gaze and to look at their life to, as examples, but they would come down now and come alongside of us if they could say something, if they can look into their life and take one thing out to tell you, one statement, what is it that they would share with you? Last week we talked about Isaiah and what he would tell us to have an encounter with God. This week we're going to be looking at the character named Jacob. And Jacob was a character, I assure you, right? He had a very interesting life. The Bible talks a lot about him in the book of Genesis. Now, you can look at Jacob's life and you could see particularly instructions and inspiration for when your life isn't turning out the way you hoped. Now this message is not so much a part two but kind of complementary to last week's message. Now you didn't have to be here last week to get the ultimate out of this message. You won't lose anything but I do encourage you to go back and to listen to last week's message because again the two sort of complement one another. Now, Jacob was guilty of trying to control or controlling his own life on his own terms, going about it his way. And he would do that, you know, often through manipulation, even from birth. So Jacob is the grandson of Abraham and Sarah, the son of Rebekah and Isaac. And Rebekah gives birth to twins, of which were Esau and Jacob, you know, Jacob, I mean, Esau is baby A. When you have twins like Christian and I did, there's a baby A and there's a baby B. 
right? And, and so Esau is baby A, and he comes out first, he's birth, and there as he comes out, they say there, the Bible tells us, is Jacob grabbing onto his foot, like, you know, just trying to get ahead of him, right? Thus the name Jacob, and we'll talk about that a little later. You know, so just trying to, manip- trying to circumvent Mother Nature, right? Well, God. And so, and then we see, you know, Jacob there, you know, and even in his marriage, you know, we see kind of manipulation. And in some cases it was him, and in some cases it was his uh, father-in-law. He gets a taste of his own medicine there in the manipulation. And then we even see when it comes to that same birthright. You see, the thing about being born first in the Jewish culture, it was a significant um, happening, something to have happened here to be a firstborn male because that, that sort of guaranteed you, uh, you know, additional provisions, ownership of property, uh, quote-unquote uh, blessings, not only spiritual, but just even just all sorts of financial blessings, inheritances uh, from your father and from your family. If you were that firstborn male, they called it a birthright. And Esau had that birthright because he was born first. Jacob wasn't able to yank him down. But later on in life, as a young adult, Jacob found a way through manipulation, through deception, through doing it his way and taking control to, uh, to go and take that and get that birthright from Esau. And so we can look at Jacob's life and we can see, as we look at it, we see the mayhem and the confusion and crisis and pain and division that comes from Jacob manipulating circumstances and people over all his life. We can see that it is not good. So we now look to Jacob, and he's coming down out of the stands. You're like, wait, how is he a great hero of the faith? How, what, why does he even belong in the stands? Well, we'll get to that. But Jacob comes down, comes alongside you, and he's got one thing to say, what would it be? And we're proposing here this morning that he would say to you, let God have control of your life. No, really, I mean, like, trust God. Give him the reins. Now, this message, this statement of letting God have control is for all here, not in any way primarily for those who have just come to God, for for those who don't, you know, don't know God yet. It certainly is. But it so much applies, just as much applies to those who have been in the faith for years, 5, 10, 15, 20, for a long time. The message applies to you because, you know, what happens is we, we, we come to church and we hang around church and we contribute in different ways. Financially, we serve and this is all good and good comes from it. Nobody knows that better than me. But we're talking about something that's happening internally to you that, that I'm not, you know, that what's happening where something's missing in your relationship with God. And, and what I see often, and what I've experienced myself, is what's causing that missing, that it, it's, I'm not getting what I thought I would, I'm not where I hoped I'd be. What's happening is somewhere, whether the whole or in part, we are taking control of our lives, and we are not letting God have control in our life. So if you do that, if that's you, where you say, you know, I, I mean, I do believe in God, and I, I, I trust God to a certain degree, to a certain point. I, I, 
I mean, I know God and I do things for God, and, but there's just certain things that I just can't, I, we've talked last week, I can't do that. I, I can't, I can only trust God to a certain degree with certain areas of my life. And maybe in some areas of my life, God is not even in the equation, meaning we, there's really, there's nothing to talk about. I, I cannot inject God or my faith in this area of my life. I, I just, I'm, I've just not come there, whether it's a relationship, finances, uh, 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 forgiveness, my future, whatever it is, I just, I just can't come to trust God. I can't let God have control of that area. Well, then you've got a gap there that generally is often filled by your adversary, Satan. There is God, there is Satan, there is good, there is evil, and, and that just not letting God have control is really you taking control. 1 Corinthians 16, 13 says, be on your guard, be on your guard, talking not only about our flesh that raises up to take control, but how the enemy will come in and he'll just come right alongside of us. And he'll take his place there where God should be reigning and God should be glorified. You need God and you need to know that. Mother Teresa, Saint Teresa, once said, you will never know God is all you need until he is all you have. <laughs> you see, when you trust God, he's all you have. That's what happens. So, you know, when, when we have this void, this uncertainty in our life, uh, we fill it, you know, with a behavior, a way of being, a way of doing, a way of getting. We, we fill that. We, in a sense, we just can't give it to God and trust when God's going to fill it out. How's he going to do it? We have mapped out a script and a narrative in our mind how it's going to happen, and we implement that fairly quickly, right? But when you we trust God, then God is all you have, and you wait on God, and you wait, and you trust him because he's just what you have. And we could learn from Jacob's life story how we can give God control of our life, how we can come before God and, and just be all in. Jacob eventually did give control of his life to God. He eventually surrendered his heart to God, and it happened at a place called Peniel or Peniel, and he had this encounter with God, and when he did, some incredibly wonderful things happen. You see, when you give control of your life to God, you'll get new strength. Somebody told me you'll get new strength is grammatically incorrect. That's okay. It sounds better. You don't, <laughs> what I mean is, you don't, you don't have to rely on yourself anymore. You don't have to make it happen. And when you think like that, what's happening is you're, you're really putting yourself in a place because you're limited. Isn't it true that, I mean, out of the gate we're limited in our resources, our capacity as human beings, emotionally, physically, energy. But isn't it true that that seems to even lessen, coincidentally, the same time the great challenges in our lives come upon us, <laughs> and then we're just afraid. But you don't have to have that limitation when you're trusting in God. Because now it is his power that you're living by. It is his power you're waiting on. It is his strength that you're injecting into the circumstances. You do not have to sustain yourself. Be careful of sustaining yourself. Now, if you're new to the faith, days, hours, weeks, you're likely not at this moment. That might not be a major issue because right now you can see this incredible comparison between where you were Steeped in deprivation, sin, apart from God, looking at life in a distorted way, 
all that from being apart from God to now trusting in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, giving him control, whatever, you gave him what you had, you got it. So self-sufficiency might not be, at this time, a major thing, but be on your guard. But if you've been around faith for a while, self-sufficiency, this is a problem. Kind of like malaria, so common like malaria in Africa, if you will, huh? Or like the flu in like maybe February in New England. You know, we're, you know you've, you've got it together. I mean, you're doing okay. You know, you're not sinning like those other people, right? Um, you know, you, you, you're acting better, you're doing better. You, you might have plateaued. Be careful about plateauing. Be careful about taking control. It's right now, and this kind of, it's been dogging me a little bit. It's been floating around there, but as I really worked through this sermon, I was kind of nudged here and there till I finally had to stop and just really sit before God and have this encounter moment of being honest with God and realizing this is what I have to guard against now. That with all that's happening, it is so wonderful, and we do want to celebrate. And I, you always see me clapping, clapping, clapping. It's awesome. I'm so excited. I, I, I mean, I mean, just thankful for what's going on here at Chair City Church. But I have to say, wow, Dave, don't take control. Taking control is not what planted this church. Taking control is not how you got to 100. Taking control is not how you got to 200. You got here because you trusted in God. Don't do it now, Dave. Don't take control. Don't sell these people short. Don't sell the person who's out there living apart from God short. Don't you take control, Dave. Seek God. Trust in God. Get before God, Dave. Don't, don't be self-sufficient, you know? Don't do that. Get out there late at night. Take that late night for go. Get there with people. Stretch yourself. Be humble. Give, serve, go, Dave, go, 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 just like you did in the beginning. Don't forget about that. Don't have self-control. Don't protect yourself. Don't make your way. Don't make it happen. Trust in God and let him have control, Dave. You'll get a new strength. It's going to be okay. God will hold it together. God will bring it forward. God will give you the strength to see his plan come to fruition. Yes? So let's look at what happened at this pinnacle moment in Jacob's life. And we read in Genesis chapter 32, 24 through 25. So Jacob was left alone, and a man, to him it was a man, wrestled with him till daybreak. So what happens here now, I think I missed something here. I think I did. So Jacob's hanging out. He's traveling through the region. And he's got all that is his life. He's got his wife, his kids, he's got his servants, he's got all his possessions, his livestock. He hears Esau's on the re- in the area. He knows conflict is coming. He thinks, okay, uh-oh, what am I going to do? He injects the Jacob plan, right? And he splits all that he has. He takes half his family, livestock, servants, all that, tells them, you go that way, the other half, you go this way, we'll separate this way. Worst case, Esau will only kill and take half of what I own. Good math, horrible plan, right? But we do that stuff in our lives, don't we? We kind of calculate in our economy with using our math and how we see it and how we perceive things. And it's just really, we're selling ourselves short. Where we don't realize we are setting ourselves up immediately for loss for so much less than God would have. God had something so much better than that for Jacob. So the scripture says Jacob's left alone now. They've gone in their separate directions. 
a man, according to Jacob, wrestles with him till daybreak. When the man saw that the, he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Painful. So here, so, so what's happening now is that when the Bible reads the man, in the original Hebrew language, what is being depicted to us is it's, it's an angel. It, it's God. God is wrestling here with Jacob. Now, some say that what's happening here is that Jacob is resisting God. He, 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 you know, he's resisting God. He's, he's um, not, you know, not surrendering to God, if you will. And I think, you know, I don't see it that way. Because um, I'm thinking if I'm wrestling with God, he wins, right? Like, to just, you know, like, like there, there can't. The way I've experienced it in my walk with God, and I, and I do think this is biblical, is by the time I get to wrestling with God, that's a good place. I mean, I'm connected to God. I've come before God. I, I now am pouring out my thoughts, my fears, my, all of it, my hopes. I'm, I'm engaged with God. Now, that's where the wrestling starts. Now, I'm honest with myself. I'm honest to God. I recognize things. I, I, I'm, I'm being cultivated, and I'm tossing out things that I had buried. God shows them to me. I got to deal with this. And that's the wrestling starts between my flesh and my fears and my past and my way and, and, a, and a sovereign, holy, wonderful, awesome, powerful God who's displayed himself in my life over and over. And now the wrestling starts. That's a great place to be. I always lose. Okay? God wins. I think what happens with us maybe is, you know, when it comes to the resistance, is that we'll kind of keep God at bay. We'll keep him at arm's length. We will, again, he's kind of, you know, we, he's kind of more of like an accessory where, as I said, you know, you know, things are going on in our lives and, you know, like, like this here is an accessory and like, okay, God, come down and shake things up or shake us up or, or help us out or encourage us. Um, you know, we, we, we bring him in when we need him into certain particular parts or times in our life, but we're not just simply say, okay, God, here I am. Just take a hold of me. I'm taking a hold of you. Let's wrestle, you know. Uh, St. Augustine, he had these, the Confessions of St. Augustine was one of the first times ever to, someone put down on paper that what was going on and how he was wrestling with God in his mind. Listen, some of you are, you've come to a place of self-reliance or you're kind of creeping into this self-reliance and it looks okay on the surface. Meaning, you know, keeping God at a distance um, holding on to this and managing it in your own way, your own kind of plan and script. On the surface, it's okay, but, and some of you actually are very, very good at it, meaning you've moved along fairly well in life at it. But you know what self-reliance does? It wears you out. It tires you out. You will find yourself being a lot more weary just mentally and, 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 and emotionally than you should be. Because you're carrying so much. The scripture says, cast off the burdens that weigh you down. A lot of that burden is because we've come to a place of self-reliance. And you're more stressed and afraid that you should be. Some people around you might know that. Your kids, your wife, they probably have a much better picture. That's what happens in my life. And that's what's gone on in different seasons of my life when I have taken control. Is I begin to get kind of weary. I begin to get afraid. I begin to seemingly get overwhelmed. 
And what it is, is I, I, I've just somehow, it's creeping in. I'm not trusting. I'm not giving control to God. Or I'm trying to like, you know, I'm trying to distance myself from God in a particular area subtly because I think, wow, maybe this is a better way to do it. And you'll see that. Listen, it's not what God has for you. God didn't call you to a life of being unnecessarily weary and beaten down emotionally and certain beaten down spiritually. Jesus has something to say to you this morning. And he says it in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 29. He says, come to me all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. When Jesus says rest here, he's not talking about laying down and taking it out and taking it easy. He means the opposite. He's saying, keep going, keep pressing on, keep running. He might even be saying, run harder. He's saying, beat hell down. He's saying, take down the gates of hell. Jesus said that. I've called you. I'll build my church on people who will run, who will persevere, who will take down the gates of hell. That's what it, that's not weary. That's not tired. That's not confused. That's powerful. Now, when he says my yoke, listen up here. The word yoke he's using, it's describing a piece of wood that's put on top of two oxen or oxen so that they would, it, would, it would keep them together as they plow forward or would enable the farmer to control the oxen as they plowed the field. Now, Jesus was a carpenter, so he knew what he was talking about. You see, there was two types of yokes. Therefore, there were two words to describe a yoke. Jesus is using one particular word here to describe a particular yoke. Now, the first yoke that existed is not the one he was describing, but I'll tell you what it was. It was a one-size-fits-all yoke. You know, in the summertime, you have like uh, sandals or slippers or flip-flops. My house, we go through like 20 of them a summer. You know, I mean, they're, they're, you know, they're fairly inexpensive, and it's one-size-fits-all, and generally, you know, they kind of either they come off your feet a lot or they're too tight, and they give you blisters a lot, right, something along those lines. Well, the same thing would happen with the oxen. They would be, uh, you know, they would have this yoke on them. It, it didn't fit them well, and as they went through the day working, you know, the wood would be rubbing. It wasn't a good fit. It didn't fit them right, so it would be rubbing against their shoulders, against their chest. By the time the day was over, they'd be bruised and, and even bleeding. But then there was another yoke. That's a yoke where the farmer would take his oxen to the carpenter. Jesus was a carpenter. And they would measure the oxen, and they would custom make a yoke to put on that oxen. It would be a perfect fit. It would be a great fit. And now that oxen would be able to work longer and stronger and better and go farther because it had a yoke on it that wasn't heavy, that wasn't hurting them, that wasn't causing bleeding. Huh? Listen, some of you are living a life that doesn't fit. You're living a way of life that wasn't made for you. And it's causing you problems. It's bruising you. It's banging you up. It's causing problems. God has a yoke. Jesus says, I have a yoke, and it will give you the kind of rest, the spiritual strength, the rest in your soul that will enable you to press on, to persevere, to rise above circumstances, to transition your life, to, to transform your life. 
while you're working through challenges and problems and difficulties, your soul is well. Take on the yoke that God has you. Take on God's plan. Take on what he wants to do and bring into your life. It says in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31, listen, it says, but those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. You know, isn't it unique the way an eagle flies, right? I mean, it's like he just, and he goes. I mean, just so graceful with such little effort, just one flap and they're gone. If you research it, you look into it, you find is they're in a big nest and they wait for this kind of like what they call a, a, a thermal stream. I'm going to use that word, I, but it, it's kind of like a, let me see if I got a thermal current, if you will. It's kind of like a burst of hot air that comes underneath them and then they flap and catch the, the stream, the current, and they just go and they fly and it's just awesome. Now, I watch birds a lot near my house because my father-in-law is a bird guy. And amongst other things, and he's, he has like four or five bird feeders along the side of the house. So we've got all these different types and colors and shapes of birds coming all day long. And, and each feeder has different food in it for different birds. The birds eat better than my mother and my father-in-law when push comes to shove, right? And, you know, what I notice is, you know, the smaller the birds, the more they, they flap. So there's like a hummingbird thing, and the hummingbirds are like... And they do it for like maybe a minute. And then they go and they find something to perch on. and They're back to flapping. And you know, that's what many of you and some of us, that's what happens in our lives when we don't give God control of our lives. When we don't have God's strength in our lives. We set out and we're, we're, just, we're just flapping away like crazy. I probably sound more like a turkey than a hummingbird, but whatever. We're just flapping away like crazy, trying to manipulate, trying to scream, scheme, trying to deceive. We're just going, 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 and we're weary and we're tired. And, and here's that eagle. And what's the eagle doing? You know, what does it say here in Isaiah 40, 31? It says, but those who hope in the Lord, who trust in the Lord, who, who let God take control of their life, they will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles eagles not their effort but God's power in them the God Holy Spirit coming into their lives and just coming through them and working in their lives and rise and raising them up are you going to give control of your life to God if you give God control of your life another thing will happen you'll discover your real identity I didn't say a new identity I said I said your real identity because God's given you, he has for you an identity. When we take control, we mar that identity. We create our own identity. That which we relate to, that's which people relate to it. That's what we give ourselves to. But God has one for you. Let's look how Jacob discovered his true identity. Genesis chapter 33, verses 26 through 27. Then the man, God, the angel, said, let me go for it's daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. All right, so they're, they're wrestling all night. Jacob's holding on. And at this point, it's somewhere along the line, Jacob comes to this place of saying, you know what? 
how did it get to this place? Half my family's here, half my family's over there. My brother, who I, you know, did a number on and schemed, he's coming to kill them. It's just not where I was supposed to be. It's not what my dad prayed for. It's not what, how did I get here? And at some point, he just says, enough, enough. I'm not going to live like this anymore. I'm surrendering because I, I need God. I want God. I'm going to hold on. I'm going to wrestle with God until I get enough of God. I need God. And then the angels, and he just he says, he goes, I won't let you go unless you bless me. I don't want what my brother had. I don't want what this one had. I don't want possessions. I just want God's blessing on my life. I want what God has for me. And the angel says, oh, that's easy. I can do that. Just tell me your name. <laughs> now, I'm pretty confident. I'm sorry. I'm positive that God knew Jacob's name. So what's happening? What is going on here? God is calling Jacob face to face with his identity, the one that Jacob has created for himself, the one that he is carrying, the one that's making him weary and confused and drained and at a loss of how did I get here. That's where he is. You see, the name Jacob means supplanter, self-helper, deceiver, schemer. That's who, that's what Jacob meant. That's who Jacob was. That was his identity. And just kind of, Jacob's being called out now. And he's, and, and he's having to just be honest. He's wrestling with God now. He's going to be honest. I'm Jacob. I'm a supplanter. I'm a deceiver. I'm a manipulator. I take control. I care more about myself than others, my wife, than my kids. I, I'm just, I'm steeped in this. This is what I am. My name is Jacob. And look what God says in verse 28. Then the man, the angel, God come down says your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel means prince because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. God is saying, I didn't create you to be that way. That's not your identity. I created you to be a prince. I created you to be a princess. I created you to be a son or a daughter of the king of kings, of the Lord of lords. You have kept me at bay. You've kept me at arm's length. You have wandered from me rather than wrestle with me. You have kept away from my peace and my joy and fulfillment and contentment that I have for you. But today was a different day for Jacob and today is a different day for you. Today, get in there. Get a hold of God. Let God get a hold of you. Wrap your arms around God. Let him wrap his arms around you and say, bless me, God. Bless me, bless me, bless me. I need you. I need your strength. Help me, oh God. You might struggle to believe that, that God can bless you, that you are a prince, that you are a princess. But listen up. God does not see you the way you see yourself. He, see you not as you, he sees you not as you are, but what you could become. Me and Chris, we'd work with kids in the inner cities, and one of the ways we would get to it, because it was brutal sometimes, the stuff we would come across, and how difficult it was, and how painful it was. So much depravity, so little. And we would always say, we don't see these kids for who they are, but for what they can be. God sees you that way. You see, we see actualities, God sees possibilities, right? He sees you and says, I know the script, the story that I have written for you. It's not the one you're writing. It's a different one. It's a better one. I know that. I lived out a, a warped, depraved life. I, out of survival, 
out of knowing no other thing than to care for myself and make a way for myself and protect myself, I mapped out my own script. I was writing my own story. And I would have these moments with God and connect to God, and people reached out to me about God, 17, even in my early 20s. I'd remember, I'd consider, I'd think, I, I would. Never left me. But then at 28, I jump back in and say, you know what? I am going to wrestle with God. And at 28, I did. I began to wrestle with God. And finally, God won. And I said, there is a God, and I need him, and I want to live this way at 28 years old. And look where I am today because of a wrestling match with God and because I knew that I would need to give up control of my life and surrender my life to God. And whatever the cost would be, it was simply worth it because God had a better way than I did, and I believe that at 28 years old. Huh? You see that happening in Jacob's life. You see God removing the old and false identity and introducing Jacob to his true identity. And you see what happened in Jacob's life next is when God controls his life and gives him that strength, you see Jacob get a new joy. You get new joy. And that's important. You see, joy is not circumstantial. Joy is not circumstantial. It's eternal. You can have joy regardless of what's happening around you. I was talking to somebody the other day, talking to them about pain and what they're going through, and I introduced them to stories from the Holocaust, how people believed in God. And the, the ones that made it through, if you read Viktor Frankl, who is a, a, a Jewish psychologist who made it through the Holocaust, he says the difference between the ones who died tragically and the ones who made it through is one thing. They did not, they had joy. The ones that, were, that survived were able to hold on to joy, meaning that even though everything around them was coming down, internally there was something wonderful in them, and that, that enabled them to have hope and to say that this is not who we are. These circumstances are not who we are. These circumstances are not the totality of our life. There will be more, and we are living not to these circumstances, but we are living for what is more. We are living in hope. They live from the inside out. Those are the ones that survived. Happiness is related to your circumstance. It's actually derived from from circumstance. But joy is much deeper than that. Joy is regardless of what's going on around me. Nothing that's going on in this world is going to take my joy. Nothing can happen that will overwhelm me from this joy that I have, which is this closeness with God, that God is in control, and He is with me. Let's read Genesis chapter 32, verse 29. Jacob now says this. He says this to the angel, you know, which I think at this point he just comes to realize, I think he's in the, in the shadow of divinity. And he says, please tell me your name. And the angel replies, why do you ask me my name? Then he blessed him. He, God, blessed him, Jacob, there. So Jacob's asking the angel his name, and pretty much God just ignores the question. Yeah, okay, whatever. Probably like, there's not enough time right now for me to tell you all that I am. But instead, he just blesses Jacob right there where he is. Jacob was giving God all that he had. Maybe there'd be more to work on in Jacob, but right there, that's, that's, Jacob was truly with all, with all his honesty, giving all that he had. When I, gave, when I wrestled with God that moment on the boardwalk at 28, and I, there was, I gave God all I knew. That, there was a lot more to work on. There was a lot more, but... but I, all I was aware of, all, I gave God my best there. Here I am. And God blessed me there. You see, I want to tell you something about that word blessing. It's often misunderstood. It's often taught, well, let me just say it's misunderstood. 
people hear that word and they think, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be blessed. I'm, I'm going to have more. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, you know, earn more. I'm going to do better. I'm going to have a better house, have a better money. Things are going to be better with my kids. I'm going to be blessed. Now, you can, I hope you have all of that. And that's okay to have all of that. But the word blessing does not have anything to do with your circumstances. Not one drop. The word blessing, when used in Scripture, in Old Testament and New Testament, when here, when Jacob uses it, when Jesus uses it in the Beatitudes, it means an internal joy, a deep internal joy. That's why Jesus, when he's saying in the Beatitudes, the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew, he's saying, blessed are those who are persecuted. Blessed are, he's saying, bless, 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 bless. He's speaking to an internal joy. Now, how do you get that blessing? Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 6, blessed, internal joy, are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. The point is when you give your life to God, when you trust God, this world has nothing on you. This world can simply not compete with the blessings of God poured into you. No matter what this world dishes out, no matter what's going on, and it will go on, you have an internal joy and a lasting peace. All right, so before Jacob now, we're going to close this out. So before Jacob now, he's kind of hanging out alongside of us. It's coming to the end of the lap. He's going to head back up into the stands, and he's maybe he's got a, a few thoughts. I say thoughts. It might be a thought before he leaves us. And maybe this is what he would say to us. Hey, one more thing. Brokenness precedes breakthrough. Nothing can happen until you humble yourself and get before God and wrestle with him. Often people see God as judgmental. You know, he wants perfection. God does not want perfection. God wants honesty. He just wants honesty. And he just wants you to just get humbled and go before God and say, God, this is who I am. I confess. I confess my sins. I confess my fears. This is, I am so-and-so. I am Jacob. He just wants an honest conversation. I'm not where I want to be, God. I need you. We cannot be who God intends us to be and at the same time hold on to what we think we should be. We must just trust God and let that go. At some point in your life, you need to get to the point of all in with God. We have a freedom group that meets here on Thursday night. They're going on a retreat in a few weeks. It's, uh, it's just a great group. It's a phenomenal retreat. I'm so excited for them as I am excited with everyone who goes through that. And they have a teaching, I know, that is talking about going all in with God, talking about letting God have control, because it's a critical component in your maturity with God. And they talk about a river, and they say, you know what, you can go into a river and you can go ankle deep. And they're comparing this to spiritual maturity. They're comparing this to where you are in letting God be in control of your life. And they say, some people go ankle deep into the river. Some people go knee deep, and they think, oh, that's cool, we're in, Right? But God's saying, no, come, come in far enough to where your feet are not touching the floor anymore and float and trust in me now, right? God wants us all in. He wants our feet off the floor. He wants us, our hands raised, our hearts open, and we are surrendered to him. Let's go all in. Go all in here. We create all different ways. It's all a strategy here. It's a godly, God-honoring strategy. Join a team and serve and serve and serve. Give generously. Do that. Be a part. We're not consumers. We're contributors. We participate. There's no membership here. We participate, right? How do, how do I become a member of church? Just participate. Honor God. We build relationships. Care for one another. 
Jump in. Go all in with all your heart and soul and mind. You know, that's what I did. I'm 28 years old. I'm all by myself. None of my friends know Jesus. <laughs> what am I going to do? I got my Christian friends out there, but they're an hour away. What do I do? How am I going to do this? Listen. And I had to humble myself. Let God enrich your life. And that begins by drawing closer to him. Psalm 51, 17 says, The sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. Now this is the psalmist talking to God. And he says to God, The sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart, O God. God does not despise our brokenness and our humility. He's attracted to it. He made us to be humbled. He made us to do this. We are at our best. When we are weak, God is strong. When we perceive to be weak, we're actually in our best. When I was there in that moment, walking away from everything I knew, just to turn around and go all in. And how did I do that? I'd say, okay, well, this is what I'm used to doing, and I know that's my story, and that's my routine, and that's my way, and I don't even want to stick near anything that resembles that. I, say, I would drive an hour, like on a Tuesday or Wednesday night, I am telling you before God to hang out with, how would you say, mature ladies, say 60 and older, to sit there at a Bible study, four, five, six of them. And you know what? I mean, I'm 28 years old. I'm not a bad-looking guy. I got a really nice car. But you know what? When I would leave those meetings, honestly, Honestly, I would be blessed, 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 blessed. Why? Because I had more joy, 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 joy inside. I had not broken a promise to myself. I had not degraded myself. I have not hurt anybody. I was not confused. I had been blessed. Listen, get all into the things of God. All right. All right. All that you are. Your dating, your habits, your routines, your relationships, your monies, your hobbies. Just place it before God today, and God will change you. Remember what changes? We said it on last week, the week before, when something changed, for something to change, something has to die. And that thing that's got to die is your plan, your script, your narrative, who you think you are. Why don't you stand with me? Even today, before I came up and preached, I prayed, God, I need you. God, take control. God, have your way today. Before you leave here today, today's the first day of the rest of your life. Let God be in control. Once you bow your heads, Father, God, have mercy. Do not let us run our own lives today. Have your way. We offer ourselves up to you today. We want you. We want your life. We want the identity you have given to us. Oh, God Almighty, God Holy Spirit, rise up in us. Give us the courage. Let us be brave to just give you control, oh God. Let us just sense right now your blessings being poured out on each and every one of us, oh God, and the joy rising up in us. And that is so powerful in us that it just pushes anything else out. It is paramount. If you are here and you do not know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you've not followed him, but today God has divinely and miraculously brought you in here. Today is the day where you turn from the way you're living. You give up control and you turn to God and you believe that God has got a better story for you and that God is more powerful and stronger than you are and that God is giving you that new story and he's giving you that power all through the life 
and the death of his son Jesus. And today, if you believe in Jesus, what he did on the cross for you, that his blood was shed, that your sins would be forgiven, and you could be made right with God and talk with God and wrestle with God, that today you believe in that. That today is the beginning of the rest of your life. Today is the day of you knowing eternity. In Jesus' name, amen. If you said, received, embraced, internalized those words about not knowing Jesus and turning to God and believing in Jesus and asking forgiveness, and today you're deciding to follow Jesus, to start a new relationship with him, Christy talked about that card. Uh, it's a connection card. One side is gray, and it says, my next steps. She said, my greatest step right here, it says, I'm starting a relationship with Jesus. I'm renewing a relationship with Jesus. If that is you today, that was me one day. That was some people up here. That was some people to my left. That was some people to my right. Did I do that to my left, to my right? Okay. I can flap like a hummingbird, but I don't know my left and my right. If that's you, and you're taking that step, then check one of those boxes off. You do that, but be profess publicly what's happening between you and God. Check that box off, boldly step out, you know, and, and, and begin God taking control of your life. Take that card out to the next steps table, guest services table. Give them that card, they'll give you a package with a Bible and some other information to get you going. If you're just not into, into like right now, connecting to people, just put the card in the black boxes on your left or right as you go out and so we know what's going on and uh, we'll just send you out a, a letter that you can get that'll kind of again give you some traction um, either way you get the letter uh, we are so grateful for what God is doing in your life this is our mission this is what we are here for uh, I thank God that in his mercy he supernaturally enabled me to give up control of my life, I thank God that he continually convicts me and shows me when I'm trying to creep back in and take control. He's an awesome, loving, faithful God. To God be the glory.